If you turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians this morning. Now, the first two verses of the text is actually hanging before you on the banners. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. On the banners, we show Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Now, when most people begin a new year, it's a time to kind of reflect back on 2015. We start to look forward to 2016. It's a time to make changes. It's a time to start thinking, what would you like to do? Some people make New New Year's resolutions. Some people like to, you know, enter into some kind of a diet program. I know that there's something called the Whole30. There's a number of people going through that right now. Um, Some people start exercising more. Some people want to learn more. So they make a decision, I'm going to read a number of books this year, or maybe even go back to school. They want want to learn. And the idea is people want, sometimes when they start the new year, they want to grow in a new area of their life. Well, we as a church are here to help you grow in Christ. Now, the purpose of our church is to help people know Christ, to grow in Christ, so that they will sow Christ to others. And last year, the focus of our church was to help people to know Christ, and we we did a number of events, seminars, things that focused on that. This year, we're going to focus on growing. And my job as a pastor, I'm commanded in Scripture to help you grow. As a matter of fact, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says that some were called to be pastors for the equipping of the saints, for the works of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I want to help you mature in Christ. We as a church want to help you mature and grow in your relationship with Christ and your knowledge of the Lord so that you can be used by the Lord for His glory. And this morning, we're going to see three things that can help us to grow, but also we'll take a look at some things that can hinder our growth. The text we're in, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, let's read that. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So how do we grow in Christ? The first thing we'll see here is to grow, you must be walking in union with Christ. To grow, you must be walking in union with Christ. Every Christian, everyone who's born again, everyone who knows Jesus is called to have an intimate walk with Him. Verses 6 and 7 again says, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed. Now, the background for the book of Colossians is Paul is in a prison. As a matter of fact, this is one of the four prison epistles. You have the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. They were all written by Paul from prison. And a man by the name of Epaphras, who was the pastor of the Colossian church, he started to have problems in the church. False teachers came in. So he travels all the way from Colossae to Rome to speak to Paul, to get his help, to call him into allegiance, to help him try to figure out what to do about these false teachers. 
Paul then writes a letter in response, which we have the book of Colossians. And he says, therefore, now therefore looks back, and Paul explains in chapter 1, he says that Christ is sufficient for all things, and He holds all things together in Him in chapter 1, verse 17. And then at the end of chapter 1, he says he wants to present every man complete or mature in Christ. And then when you move into chapter 2 here, he says, therefore. And he says, therefore, so just as you've received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. As Christians, we are to have a, a living walk with Christ. It is a reality of us knowing Him. And as believers, we need to learn to walk in Him. Paul has already encouraged his readers to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in verse 10 of chapter 1. And now he wants to kind of continue this idea. To walk in Christ, it is a present tense verb. That means you do it today and it continues on into the future. It's a pilgrimage. As believers, we're on a pilgrimage with the Lord. And we need to learn to, to daily walk with Him, daily be connected to Him. It's the idea of being in union with Him. We're in Christ. Now, the walking part, that's us. But the union parts, that's us in Christ. And we, we're called because we're in Christ. We're secured in Jesus. It's, it's like as if we're a ship safely in a harbor. We're anchored to Him. We're connected to Him. And to show us how to practically walk in Christ, what Paul does is he lays out four participles. And the first one is he says, having been firmly rooted in Him. Now that you're in Jesus, now that you're walking with Him, Paul then says, you need to be rooted in Him. He is the source of our spiritual nourishment. We cannot grow unless we're in Christ. He is what sustains us. He is one that gives us life. Now, Jesus said basically the same thing in John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we have nothing, but in Christ, all things are open to us, walking in union with him, being connected to him. He is the source of our life. He is life and breath to us as Christians. Rooted is an agricultural word. And it's a perfect passive tense participle. And it literally means being connected to Him. If you want to grow, you need to be deeply rooted in Christ, deeply connected with Christ, have a living, real relationship with the living Lord. If you want to draw close to Him, that's what it means. Guys, we're not tumbleweeds. We don't kind of go with the winds of doctrine being blown around. No, we're deeply connected to Jesus. And we draw our nourishment, we gain our strength, we gain our stability from Christ alone. And so Paul uses this agriculture metaphor first saying, you need to be in Christ, rooted in Him. And then the next participle he says, being built up. Now this is an architectural firm. We're built up in Christ. It's, it's, in the, it's a present passive verb, I mean participle. And it's becoming more and more like Jesus. He's that firm foundation. We are the structure being built up in Him, being changed to the very image of Christ. And then the third one is established in your faith. We're firmly rooted in Christ. We're growing up. 
And as a result, some believers were being established in faith. And then this passive participle indicates that it is God who will establish us. That we are, if you will, grounded, we're secured, we're established in Him. Being rooted, being built up. And we establish our faith firm on the foundation. We're settled in Christ. And because of this, Paul says, okay, do it. Walk in Him. You want to grow, walk with Christ. You want to progress in your Christian life, go for it. Walk with Him daily. Let Him be that nourishment in your life because you have everything you need for life and godliness in Him. But you got to ask the question, don't you? Why is it that so many Christians don't seem to grow? What is it that keeps a Christian from not growing? If we have Christ, if we, we have everything we need in Him, what is it? Because we understand that there's something missing with some. And Paul dealt with this in the book of 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Bill Foote, and I want to give him some credit here. Some of these ideas are his, his ideas as we kind of discuss this concept of growing in Christ. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church. And the problem is they weren't growing. And so if you look at chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you were still fleshly. And he goes on to, to spell out what that means. Why is it that some Christians remain spiritually immature? Why is it that some Christians just don't seem to grow? Why is it that Paul was dealing with these Christians there in Corinth, that they, they should have been growing? When he wrote that letter, they were already five years in the Lord. And he's saying, I still got to give you milk. He's saying, why haven't you grown? And guys, I want to I make a parallel to those who have an intellectual disability. Now, we, we have these special need classes because we, we understand that, that that these children, these people, there's nothing that they can do about the condition that they're in. But as Christians, we are called to grow. And the Bible says we're expected to grow. And there's a parallel in the spiritual realm. There are believers who through the years they don't progress. They stay spiritually immature. And let me tell you something, this is serious stuff. This is no game. This is the kind of stuff where the battlegrounds are drawn. And I am commanded as your pastor to help you understand that you need to be growing in Christ. How long have you been walking with Jesus? Are you growing in your affection for Christ? Are you growing in the knowledge of His Word? Have you discovered your gifts and are you using those for His glory? Have you reached the point where giving to the Lord's work is a joy for you? Have you found it easier and easier to share Christ with others? And matter of fact, you're trying to figure out ways to do it even more in 2016? Or do you still need somebody to spoon feed you the milk of the Word? Are you not clear even what your gifts are and so you hold back from serving the Lord? 
Are you still finding it a struggle to give to the Lord's work? As a matter of fact, the only time you do it is when you're guilted into it and you find no joy in that at all. Are you finding excuses why you don't witness and you say, well, it's not my gift when you realize that the Scriptures clearly teach it's not about gifting, it's about obedience? Why aren't you growing in Christ? Where intellectual disability and spiritual immaturity differ, a person with an intellectual disability can do little to change it. They're born like that. And so they mature as an adult in their body but their, in, their intellect and their mind doesn't mature, and we understand that. And because of that, we give them sympathy. We come around them. We help them. We, we understand that condition. It's not their fault. Guys, but spiritual immaturity is always placed on the responsibility of the believer. And it's typically the result of spiritual apathy, indifference, and usually a lack of discipline and effort. You never find sympathy for this condition for the person that is not growing spiritually in the Bible. Instead, what you always find in the Bible is a rebuke. There is no excuse for not growing in Christ. None. You have everything you need in Christ. Paul says you've been given everything. Now walk in Him. You've been rooted in Him. He is the source of our life. You're being built up in Him. He's the foundation. He does not move. You're established in. He is settled. You are grounded. Now begin to walk in Him. And Peter says exactly the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, seeing that this divine power has been granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence in Christ Jesus. As Christians, you've been given a new nature. As Christians, you've been given the Holy Spirit. God in His faithfulness has given us the Word of God. You're in a church where we teach the Bible. You have all these things given to you, but some of you, and I fear, some of you are not growing in Christ. And the same thing was happening to those in Corinth. Do you know they had the best teachers that ever were right there? They had Paul the Apostle, they had Apollos, they had the the Apostle Peter there, and yet they weren't growing. Now, Paul says, I had to give you milk. Hey, when when somebody's a brand new believer, that's great. We want to help them, so we spoon feed them a little bit of the Word. We, We help them understand the basics of Christianity. But these guys had been five years in the Lord, and he says, you still need milk. He wants to give them a pork chop, but instead he has to give them a baby bottle. They weren't growing, they weren't learning, they weren't progressing in Christ. And what this does is it shows us three things. One, growth is not guaranteed just because you're getting older in the Lord. Growth is not guaranteed, second, because you have the Holy Spirit and and you have the Bible and you're sitting under good teaching. But third, the potential for growth, man... You got it. The potential for growth is there because God has given you His Son. You now have the Holy Spirit. And you have everything that you need so that you can grow. You know, Russell Moore, he's the president of the Baptist Theological Seminary. And he, I read an article where he was talking about the power of Christ to redeem sinners. And this is what he said. He said, the next Billy Graham might be a drunk right now. The next Jonathan Edwards might be a man driving in front of you with a Darwin fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might currently be a profanity-spewing hip-hop artist. The next Charles Spurgeon might be managing an abortion clinic today. 
The next Mother Teresa might be a heroin addict this week. The next Augustine of Hippo might be a sexually promiscuous cult member right now. And then he goes, as a matter of fact, the first Augustine of Hippo was a sexually promiscuous cult member. He says, but the Spirit of God can turn all that around. And the Spirit of God, it delights to do that, to transform lives, to take people and transform them. And then when they're transformed, He uses them, plants them in the church so they can establish the church, grow up, and move the church forward. Those that are united for Christ and in Christ, they have the potential to change the world for Christ. All the potential is there. But the key, we see is that we need to walk in Him. We need to be in union with Him. You have all the potential you need to grow, but some of you aren't growing, and this concerns me. And that's the first thing we see is that to grow, you must be walking in union with Him. Now, the next two things I'm going to show you are real practicals to help us to see how we do it, how we grow, how we grow in Christ. The second one To grow, you must have a grateful and a determined attitude. To grow, you must have a grateful and determined attitude. If you have Christ, if you're born again, if you've been settled in your faith, He is your Lord and you're following after Him. All the potential is there for growth. But your attitude, it matters to God. Look at verse 7 again. At the very end, it says, an overflowing with gratitude. Our attitude towards what Christ has done for for us and continues to do should be one of gratitude. You should be so grateful to the Lord for saving you. I literally was speaking to a brother in the lobby right before the service, and he was just sharing with me his heart about how grateful he is to Christ for his goodness in his life. And this man has suffered almost more than anybody I know in this congregation, but yet his heart was full of gratitude. And I looked at him and I said, brother, that's so important. Because if you have a heart of gratitude, you have the potential for growth. Because you want to learn, you want to grow, you want to know more about Christ. And he says here, overflowing with gratitude. Guys, you're firmly rooted in Christ. You're being built up in Him. You're established in Christ. You have everything you need. And then he says, with that, you should just be overflowing with gratitude. It's like a river that the the water and the river, it's overflowing the banks. You're so full of gratitude to the Lord. You know, I walked in, in in this worship center on Christmas Eve, and I can't tell you how grateful I was. My heart was full. There were so many people gathered here to to hear about Christ on Christmas Eve, and it just made me so excited to share the Word of God. I I just wanted to worship with God's people, grateful to the Lord. One commentator put it like this. He said, our first experience in the Lord is that of drinking the water of life, and He puts within us an artesian well of living water, but that artesian well should become a river of living water that grows deeper and deeper as the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. Some of the versions of the Bible, they use the word abounding, abounding in gratitude, overflowing in gratitude, if you will, overwhelmed with gratitude towards the Lord. One thing I think that will help us, this is where I think doctrine is so important. I want to talk to you about the doctrine of sin. Because if you understand the doctrine of sin and you know where you came from, man, are you grateful for where you are in Christ. When you understand that you were blind 
when you understand that you were dead in sin, when you understand that there was no hope for you and you could care less about God, about the Scriptures, about His people, and suddenly the light of Christ had burst into your life and suddenly you saw the truth and you couldn't believe what you saw and God literally gripped your heart to the work of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Scriptures and now you're His. And when you see where you were and now where you are, how can you, can you not be grateful? And that gratitude, it motivates us. It puts a desire in us to grow in Christ, to know Him more. It moves us to grow in Him. Do you have a heart of gratitude this morning? Are you grateful for the blessings of the Lord in your life? Do you see how He's blessed you year after year since you've known Him, how faithful our Lord is, how grateful we should be? Do you understand that salvation is monergistic? It's all of God. For by grace you've been saved through faith, but this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God and not of works, so no one can boast. We're grateful to Him. So grateful. So we need to have this attitude of gratitude. But the next attitude that we should have is, is one of determination, a determined spirit. And I'm going to jump off this text and I want to talk to you about that because to grow is called sanctification. Salvation, monergistic, all of God. Now we're in the sanctification process. This is called synergistic. We're working with God. God through His Holy Spirit motivating us. You need to have a heart of determination, a spirit of determination. You've got to desire it. Pastor used to say, you've got to have the want to. You've got to have the want to. Do you want to grow in 2016? And there's three things we're going to see about this determined spirit. First, you've got to persevere. Second, you've got to have a plan. And third, you've got to have a pattern for growth. Perseverance, a plan, and you need to develop a pattern. Let's take a talk about perseverance. Now, Paul, he wrote Colossians, but he also wrote Philippians. He also wrote 1 Corinthians. And in Philippians chapter 3, listen to Paul, what he says. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm reaching forward. I'm moving out. I'm leaving the past behind. I'm moving forward for Christ, and I'm doing everything I can to persevere to the end. The goal is the upward call of Christ Jesus. The goal is to be more like Christ. And Paul says, I'm making an effort. I'm making a wholehearted effort with everything that I am. He's relentless in his pursuit to be like Christ. He wants to know his Lord more. He wants to be like his Lord. And perseverance is the ability to press forward and do what's right regardless of the resistance. Perseverance is something we need to be adding to our life daily. And without perseverance, without this relentless pursuit of Christ-likeness, without this pushing forward, you're going to drift. And drifting, by the way, is always backwards. It's like going downstream. The Spirit helps us to persevere, but He calls us to participate. It's a working with the Spirit of God, persevering in Christ. But without perseverance, your heart is going to slowly begin to move away from the Lord. And you may still come to church, but your first love is going to start to wane. It's going to feel like it's gone. Your experience with Christ will become dull. It's going to become lackluster. Without perseverance, you're rarely going to pray anymore. You're rarely going to pick up the Bible and read anymore. And if you're honest, 
There's no joy in serving anymore. You kind of just do it because it's an obligation. And I'm hoping I've got your attention right now. This is so important. If you want to grow, you need to determine in your heart that you're going to persevere, that you're going to press forward, that you're going to press in to the Lord. Now, remember, Paul was talking to carnal Christians in, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and these guys should have been, man, eating steaks and having great meatloaf, but instead, they're sipping on a little milk bottle. They're having to have somebody spoon-feed them the Word of God when they should have known the Word of God well. And Paul is saying, it's time for you to grow up. And one of the ways we grow is we press in. He is our example. He pressed forward, constantly moving forward for Christ. They should have matured, but they stayed immature. They should have been effective for Christ, but they weren't. And so what Paul does is he helps them to understand how to escape that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Corinthian church, they were carnal. They weren't growing. And so Paul gives them the solution to growth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. I'm going to start with this idea of a plan, I mean perseverance, and then I'm going to talk about the plan and also the idea of having a pattern for growth. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Let me read that. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as, as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So what Paul does in verse 24, he says to the Corinthian believers who are apathetic and indifferent, he says, hey, run the race and run it well. Run this Christian race to win, persevere, press in, go for it. Be like an athlete what athlete enters a competition, he doesn't care about it. He's saying, basically, God cares about this. Do it. Be like an athlete in it. In verse 25, he goes on to define what an athlete must do to run with excellence, how to persevere. And basically, what they do is they go into strict training, don't they? They get up early so that they can train and, and get the workout in. Whether or not their body likes it, they do it because they know they need to win. And those things that weaken them, they cut it out of their life. They say, I'm not going to have that anymore. I'm going to say no to that. On the things that they know that strengthen them, they say yes to that. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to eat the right things. I'm going to do what's necessary to train because I want to win. And they do this day after day, day after day, relentless, persevering. Paul's speaking about the spiritual realm here. He's like an athlete. He presses on day after day. He's moving forward for Christ. He sustained it all the way till he died. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, one of the last things Paul wrote is this. Listen to his words. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I persevered. If you want to grow in 2016, in your heart now, now, this morning, Sunday morning, first Sunday of the new year, you determine, I'm going to grow, Lord. Help me to persevere. But second, Paul had a plan. Paul had a plan. 
Look at verse 26. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, and I box in such a way as not beating the air. If you want to grow, you need to be focused. You don't want it to be kind of just drifting aimlessly. You want to have a plan in place so you're not drifting downstream. Remember, if you're drifting downstream, it's away from Christ. And just like an athlete plans their schedule, does everything they need to plan to to win, Paul is saying, be like that. Have a plan. Have a structured plan. Know what you're going to do. Do you have a plan to grow in 2016? Ask yourself, you drifting or do you have a plan? Because remember, if you drift, you drift downstream. Determine that you're going to have a plan. Determine, and I'm going to press you a little bit. Determine you're going to get up early in the morning for the Lord's sake. That you're willing to move that dial back a bit to be in the Scripture's first thing for the Lord. That the Lord becomes the rudder of your day. That it's His time, your time. You have a scheduled appointment with Him. That it's so important. Yeah, but Pastor Rob, I mean, that just sounds so legalistic. You know what? I can care less about legalism. This stuff is so important. Because if you're not moving forward for Christ, you're going to begin to drift away from Christ. And I say this as a pastor because I know people who have. There are people that have been in this church last year. They are not in this church this year. Why? Because they drifted. Because they didn't persevere. Because they didn't have a plan. And they drifted away from the Lord. And instead of growing closer to the Lord in 2015, they're not even walking with the Lord now in 2016. Get up early, guys. Set your time with the Lord. Be in the Word and in prayer with Christ. If I could only beg you, make Him your priority in 2016. Now, I've tried to do it at night. It never works. I get tired. I forget. But in the morning, when he's at first meeting of my day, and I have my little cup of coffee, and I have the Bible, and I spend that first hour with Christ, it will change your walk. And you'll begin to, to notice the growth in your own heart. Think of the examples that have been set for us. This is what David said in Psalm 63, 1. He said, oh God, you are my God and early will I seek you. Jesus was our example. Mark 1, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went off to a solitary place and he prayed. So many people worry about this whole idea about legalism and, oh, that's too strict and it's so fundamental. Can I tell you, don't worry about any of that stuff. Do it. If you do it, you'll find Christ will meet you in those private moments. Now, some people, maybe you're not an early morning person. I was talking to somebody today. They get up at 4.30. Wow. But they get up to meet the Lord. Praise the Lord. But some of your schedules may be really, really early. Where you're in a car by 4.30 and you're having to go to work. I understand. Supplement. Figure ways to, to do that when you get home or maybe a, a lunchtime at work. You need the Word of God. It is a priority for you. You need prayer. Do you have a plan to read your Bible this year? Do you have a plan to pray? Do you have a plan for good Christian books? Good, solid theology that can help you learn and grow. Do you have a plan for fellowship this year? Have you been holding off, joining a group because you say, no, I prefer to be home and watch TV? Be part of what's happening in this church, part of the body of Christ. Do you want to grow this year? Do you decide to come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday morning? Or is it already planned? You're saying, I will not miss my time with God's people 
in the Word of God. Build a plan. Do whatever it takes. Now, those are two things, perseverance and a plan, but there's a, a third one, and this one is vital. You need to establish a pattern. You need to establish a pattern. Look at verse 27, because Paul established a pattern. 1 Corinthians 9, 27 says, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What he did is he established a pattern to master the flesh. He established a pattern so that when the flesh raised its ugly head, he said, no, 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 no. You're not going to control me. I'm going to control you. And let me tell you something. The flesh does not like to get up early. The flesh does not like to read the Bible. It wants to play, right? The flesh doesn't want to give to God's work. It wants to buy toys. The flesh wants to do what it wants to do, but Paul here is saying, you're the master of the flesh. You dominate. Don't let the flesh dominate you. If you're letting the flesh dominate you, it will destroy you. And you will find at the end of 2016, will you even believe anymore? Paul was relentless for growth. He did it through the work of the Holy Spirit, trusting Christ, but it was working together, synergism with Christ. And he mastered the flesh. Paul was so grateful. Of any of the apostles, when you read Paul's writing, he was the one who was most grateful. The book of Philippians is called the joy chapter. 18 times he speaks about joy. Man, that guy was grateful. But Paul also was determined. My heart is that each of us will be grateful and determined. I want to share six things that will help you to grow, very practical things this year. Real simple. One, pray. Pray. Set a time. Plan it. When are you going to pray? This is time with the Lord. This is your time with Him. It's not only speaking to Him, but it's listening to Him. It's a part of your life. It becomes life and breath to you as a Christian. You need to be praying. Men, I'm calling you out. Do you have a spouse? Are you praying with your spouse? God is calling you. Matter of fact, you're commanded to lead your home. Be that man this year, 2016. Your wife will be blown away that you say, I want to lead. Pray with me. And she will be blessed. And your home will be blessed if you'll simply be a praying man. That's the first thing. Pray. Five other things deal with the Word of God. I always combine my prayer life with the Word of God. When I do my devotions, I pray before, but I let the Word of God direct my prayer. I, I pray while I'm reading. I pray, sometimes stop, and as the Lord speaks to me in the Word, I let it direct my prayer life. But you need to hear the Word of God. You need preaching. There's something dynamic that happens when somebody teaches the Word of God and we sit under sound teaching, the Holy Spirit moves. I can't tell you how the same word preach hits different people different ways. One person's dealing with one issue, God speaks to them. One person's dealing with another issue, God speaks to them. But it's the same Word of God being preached. Be in church. Don't be lazy this year. Be here. Hear the Word of God. Listen to it on your radio. Do you have an iPod? I download it. I listen to it constantly. Read the Word of God. Do you have a plan? Hey, we gave you a plan. It's right here. They're out on the counter. We put it in your bulletin two weeks ago. Did you throw it away? You can go through the Bible in a whole year. Read the Word. The Word of God is food for the soul. Do that. Listen, read, study. Study the Word. This is simple. You don't have to make this major. Just get a pad of paper, have it with you when you read the Word. You can then write down things that God speaks to you. Go look it up. Or do cross-references, cross-reference different things in the Bible. Go deeper than just reading the Word. Study. Memorize. Memorize the Word of God. 
When you find something that pops off the page, write it down on a card, put it in a pocket, put it in your purse, put it on in your car. Study, memorize the word. Hey, back of your bulletin, memory verse. Why do we do that? So that at the end of 2016, you've got 12 verses memorized, 12 more than you had in 2015. Memorize the word last, meditate. Whatever you take in and memorize, think upon it. Meditate on it. Some people use the analogy of a cow that chews the cud. It constantly regurgitates it back up, thinks it about, goes back down. That's meditating on the Word of God. All these six things will help you to grow. Pray, hear the Word, read the Word, study the Word, memorize the Word, meditate on the Word. Let that 2016 be a year of growth for you. So to grow, you must have a walking union with Christ. To grow, you must have a grateful and a determined attitude. And here's the last one. To grow, you got to resist. We have three enemies. You have to resist three enemies. Now, there's a reason it's hard to grow. We have enemies, three of them. And all three are seen in verse 8 of Colossians chapter 2. Let me read the text. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. The three enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the first one points to the world. In verse 8, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Now, philosophy is, is two Greek words. The Greek words phileo, which means to love, and sophia, which is wisdom. It's the love of wisdom, and particularly for the Greeks, it was human wisdom, man's wisdom, worldly wisdom, we'd call it. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. It literally means made a prisoner to the philosophy of the world. Don't let them take you captive. In this context, he's speaking about false teachers that had come into the church, and they were spewing out things that weren't true, but they acted like they were really wise. He's saying, be careful. Know what you're believing in. Know what you're listening to. And the problem is, guys, we're saved. You're different, but we still live in the old neighborhood. The world hasn't changed. We're different, but it's not different. And so there's a resistance when we come into, against the world, isn't there? And the world doesn't think like the Bible. It doesn't think like we think anymore. Do you remember when you were a brand new Christian and all of a sudden you'd see something on TV and you're like, wow, I shouldn't like that. But before you loved it, right? What is that? You're different. The Holy Spirit is now in you. You're now born again. But the world, hey, before you were a Christian, you're just moving along with the world. You're going downstream with the world. Everything was fine. But now you're a Christian, there's resistance. The world's going like this. The philosophies are hitting you, and you're saying, I can't hold to that. Think about some of the things the world teaches, some of the philosophies of our world. One is, you have the right to be happy, right? What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches, be holy, even as He is holy. The Bible teaches it wants you much more holy than happy. You have a need to love yourself before you can love someone else. What does Jesus say? Deny yourself. Right? What does it say? Money, it really does buy happiness. What does the Bible say? Beware of the love of money. Right? On and on I could go. The philosophy of the world is here, but now we're over here. And it's, it's a push against us. That's why sometimes it's difficult to grow. 
But we need to press against that. We need to fight that. We need to persevere through it. Secondly is the flesh. Okay, we're in the old neighborhood, but also we're still in the old us. We have the flesh. The flesh is the sinful nature inherited from our first father, Adam. We're different. We now have the Spirit of God within us, but we're still attached to this thing, the flesh. And have you ever noticed there's a fight going on within you? Now, Paul says in verse 8, according to the tradition of men. That word tradition is the Greek word paradosis. It means handed down from another. And just because people have believed something as a tradition, it does not mean that it's right or that it's true. Jesus said, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? This is the flesh. This is your sin nature. This is who you are in the flesh, but the flesh is still there. And we're called to keep that at bay, to control the flesh. But the flesh loves to resist anything good. The flesh wants to do what it wants to do. It's, it's like a child inside a grocery store that it wants that candy. And it said, I want it. I want it now. And you're saying, no, you can't have that. We need to resist the flesh. We need to resist the world. And we have one more enemy. This is the devil. The devil. In Colossians 2.8, it ends with, rather than according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Those words, elementary principles, is the Greek word stokia, and it basically means like an alphabet in a row, but every scholar I read basically thinks it holds to this. It is the demonic teachings and practices of the cult people that were in that church. Guys, the devil's in the camp. Paul is saying, the devil's there. You be careful. And the devil's like a lion that's, that's prowling. He's looking for another victim. And what the devil does is he uses your flesh to desire the things of the world, and he whispers in your ear, doesn't he? He's saying, go ahead, try it. It's not a big deal. Why are you so uptight? Just do it this once. What's the big deal? I mean, what did he say to Eve? Did God really say you're going to die? No, man, you're not going to die. You're going to expand your mind. Eat of the fruit. Go ahead. It's no big deal. And sometimes we bite, don't we? I mean, how many people do you know that they probably had that thought, it's no big deal. And then they took that drink or they took that snort and next thing you know, they're addicted for life to that thing. Or how about the person that flirted with the wrong person? I know I shouldn't, but boy, well, I'm going to flirt anyway. And next thing you know, they, they have an affair and they ruin their family, don't they? And they trash their life. And Satan enticed a third of the holy angels away from a holy God. Satan enticed David to commit adultery and to commit murder. He's a powerful enemy. But guys, the Bible says you're expected to grow. And we have three things that, that are fighting against us, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. But he that's in you is much more powerful than he that's in the world. And you have everything that you need to grow. And I would call you this year to press in towards godliness, to press in towards growth. I read another article by Russell Moore. And he, he had heard um, a, a news program on a scientist by the name of Temple Grandin. And his research basically taught how to kill cows gently. Now, the issue is when, when a cow would get, get um, afraid, it experienced high stress levels, he, it, it emitted a hormone that ruined the meat. 
And so they had to figure out a way when they brought cows to a slaughterhouse that they didn't know they were in a slaughterhouse. And so this is what he said. He said, workers shouldn't yell at cows and they should never use cattle prods because they're counterproductive and unneeded. If you keep cows contented and comfortable, they just go where you lead them. So along the way, they go through what's called a squeeze chute. It's a gentle pressure device that mimics a mother's nuzzling touch. And the cattle continue down a ramp onto a smooth, curving path with no sudden turns. And the cow experiences the sensation that it's just going home. It's done this before. And as they kind of mosey along this path, they don't even realize that a conveyor belt came and suddenly their feet are no longer touching the ground. And then a device comes and it hits them square between the eyes and they're turned from cattle into meat. They never saw it coming. And what Moore does, he makes a connection now to our spiritual life and spiritual forces at work in our life. He says, forces are afoot right now negotiating how to get you fat for consumption and how to get you calmly without struggle to the cosmic slaughterhouse floor. The easy life for you will be the one which you don't question anything. A life which you simply do what seems natural. The ease of it all will seem to further confirmation that this is the way things ought to be. And you might even feel as though the situation is like progressing up a stairway so perfect as though it was designed for you. Trust me, it was. And in many ways, the more tranquil you feel, the more endangered you are. The enemy has a plan for your life. But I'm asking you this morning, for Christ's sake, you have a plan for your life. Will you plan to grow this year? Three things. To grow, you must be walking in union with Christ. Do you know Him this morning? To grow, you must have a grateful and determined attitude. If you're upset with the Lord, that needs to be dealt with. Deal with it. Determine a plan this year. And to grow, we must resist three enemies. Amen? Let's pray. Father, the Word of God is clear. And we recognize that you call us, Lord, to move forward for Christ's sake. We never do this alone, Lord. This is not about us, but about us working with you in tandem with you because we're in you, Lord. We recognize that. We thank you for it. Father, help us individually and as a church to move forward for Christ, to grow in your likeness, Lord, so that you may use us for your glory and that you would be glorified in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Can I please have you stand?